Hello and welcome to the Nursing Podcast. This is Landon. Hello, this is Monique. Nice to see you or talk to you again. From the Kitchen of Knowledge. Yes, Monique's Vancouver, Kitchen. In Vancouver, British Columbia. And this month we are going to talk to you about hyponatremia. Salt. Yeah. The salt that is good or bad for you. Salt. 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 Okay, so... How are we going to do this? I think I... Why don't we talk about some case studies and then maybe kind of work up some of the... I know Mr. Nerd Patho Guy. Nerd. Nerdy Patho Guy is going to talk to you a little bit about how our body manages um, with our sodium. So why don't we just start with talking about four case studies and then we'll start from there, okay? Sounds good. So... Um, I'm going to talk about the first case study is a 71-year-old female brought in by the ambulance service with a history of vomiting and diarrhea for 24 hours. She ate sushi the night before and has not been able to keep anything down. Case number two is a 72-year-old woman from a nursing home. She comes to the emergency department with a change in her mental status over the past few hours. She has a history of chronic artery disease, hypertension. She is on hydrochlorothiazide and an aspirin. And you do notice that she has decreased skin turgor, orthostatic hypotension, and she is quite disoriented to time, place, and person without any kind of focal neurological deficits. The third patient is a known 27-year-old guy, known paranoid schizophrenic, who's been managing quite well on his clopromazine and imipramine, but he had three seizures today at the group home. And on arrival, he's only responding to painful stimuli. His vital signs are stable. When you listen, his chest sounds good, his heart sounds good, and his abdomen is normal, and he's been given 10 of Valium per EHS. And the last case is an 85-year-old male who presents to the emergency department with a fever and cough and ends up being diagnosed with a pneumonia. He's in moderate respiratory distress. Um, his temp's 39, respiratory rate 24, and air entry is decreased to his right lung base. Now, it doesn't sound like any of these cases have anything in common at all. Except that we've probably already given the answer I away. know. Well, in working all of them up, guess what? They were all hyponatremic. Well. I know. Well, so before we talk about the specifics of those cases, let's do a little review on sodium balance okay. um, before we talk about hyponatremia. So... Sodium is one of the main ions of the body. It's positively charged uh, cation, and it is higher in the bloodstream or in the extracellular fluid than inside the cells. And lots of you, I'll allow you to recover from your seizure, uh, and that's long enough, because we're going <laughs> to, at some point, this is the sodium-potassium pump thing that a yes. lot of you don't like, but people like me with no social skills, uh, we love physiology. So... Uh, sodium higher outside the cell uh, mm -hmm. than inside the cell and we have regulatory mechanisms that adjust how our kidneys control water free water mm -hmm. and sodium ions uh, exactly. as, as well as many others but today we're talking about sodium so aldosterone made in the adrenal gland and antidiuretic hormone is made in the pituitary gland and that either allows us to pee out salt with free water or leave free wa uh, let free water go, retain sodium, or vice versa. Uh, and again, if you're totally nerdy about that, you already get it. Yeah. The reality for most people who don't care is there's hormones, they either make you pee out water and keep salt or get rid of the salt as well. Yeah. Now we have other ways that uh, 
that that'll do and I'll get to that in a little bit. So so where sodium is water will follow if if the sodium's too high in the bloodstream, water will come out of the cells to try and dilute the blood. It wants to maintain some form of a balance. balance. Yeah. And when you add up all of the bits in the blood, there needs to be a form of balance with what is on the other side of the blood vessel or the other side of the cell wall. And so sodium is not the only one that adds into that balance. But again, that's what we're talking about here. Today, so yeah. we call this uh, osmosis. When you have too much sodium on one side, water will flow through osmosis to the part with high sodium to try and dilute it Absolutely. so that it brings it back into balance. It helps maintain blood pressure, its nerves, muscles, every muscle twitch, nerve impulse, every action potential involves sodium and potassium. So it's kind of an important uh, ion to have yeah. around. All of them are important. This one, right down to the very fundamental why your heart beats, is uh, an important one. Hyponatremia is one of the most common electrolyte imbalances in encountered in clinical practice. It has a, a, actually quite a poor outcome. Mm -hmm. Mostly we, we just don't understand it. And we see an abnormal sodium on a, on a chemistry uh, test and we're just sort of like, oh, wow, their sodium's a little yeah. low. And it, and it probably doesn't get the appreciation that, say, an internal medicine specialist or ward would be uh, on top of that. And, oh, my goodness, their sodium's, you know, two points lower than normal. And most emergency nurses are like, that's ah, close enough. Exactly. Uh, so maybe a cultural shift needed there. Yeah. It, it, is, it is associated with an increased mortality, longer hospital stay. You think when we talk about some of the symptoms, you'll see, yeah, these people could fall a lot, fracture a hip yada 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 and we all know where that's going to head in the end absolutely i actually was curious is that why when you eat something salty you always feel like you need to drink lots is that why that, that might be one of the reasons Maybe, hey? and it might be why you don't necessarily pee a lot right yeah afterwards. exactly and it's interesting because in the and tropics pee a lot <laughs> yeah exactly but in the tropics a lot of times um when people are very warm they'll often put salt on their fruit and I wonder if it's because they're trying to, you know, because they're sweating so much that they're actually trying to replace some of that salt. It's kind of interesting because everyone here might think it's kind of odd. But if you've been to Southeast Asia or even to um, Mexico, they often will put salt on their mangoes or something like that. It's kind of interesting. Anyways, that off topic. That would be the weird tidbit that <laughs> so strange. Southeast Asian Monique yes, has would, up. would talk about. Okay, so let's kind of go back and start talking a little bit about hypodentremia. And I'm going to talk, or we're both going to talk about it under these three headings. We're going to talk about acute versus chronic hyponatremia. What is the cause? Why, why are they low in salt? And then some of the treatment options. And I think that that's really where we need to talk about it because I do think that you need to be very cautious when we're treating it. So let's just start with acute versus chronic. So acute symptomatic hyponatremia is defined as hyponatremia that develops in less than 48 hours. With a sodium that's less than 125 milliequivalents per liter, there's an increased risk for neurological symptoms secondary to brain cell swelling. And if you don't know how long they have been hyponatremic, you should correct the sodium slowly and cautiously because the brain kind of adapts to that prolonged hyponatremia. Now, it's kind of hard to pull out acute uh, because unless you've had blood work done in the last 48 hours, it is kind of difficult for us to make that decision. So you also have to look at some of the clinical pictures, which is great. So let's go back to some of our clinical pictures. So that first case with that poor woman who was vomiting and diarrhea after eating sushi, that's likely an acute cause. Makes um, sense. Right, it makes sense because she's previously healthy. The second lady with the confusion not yet diagnosed, now that might be acute or it may be chronic, 
or acute on chronic. So certainly something a bit more concerning. The seizure not yet diagnosed, again, may be an acute on chronic uh, situation. And the pneumonia likely is an acute uh, presentation. Right, so let's talk about some of the, the causes of hyponatremia. Probably one of the most common ones is, is medications. Many diuretics mm -hmm. cause salt loss and uh, antidepressants, pain medication, and really anything that causes you to urinate or sweat more. Is well, I actually think that's that. probably um, premenopausal, pre perimenopausal. Why that's did what... I know menopause was going to come <laughs> well, up? Well, it sounds like it, doesn't it? Well, anyway. it does. Anything anyway. that perspires more, that's how I feel. There you go. I should check my sodium. Okay, so medications. Because Sorry. you are acting a little confused right I now. I know. So medications, diuretics, antidepressants, pain medications. medications. Okay. All right. Heart, kidney, and liver problems. So CHF certain kidney failure, liver disease, it can cause fluids to accumulate in your body, which then dilutes the, the sodium. sodium. Okay. Because remember, this is a amount of bits right. dissolved in an amount of water. So you either are losing the bits, right, or you have the same amount of bits and you're pouring a whole bunch of free water into it. So that's the way I think of physiology fairly easily is yeah. you have to think there's both ways. There's either bits going away or the same amount of bits and you're adding too much free water to it. So, so it's the fraction of it in that yeah. fluid, right? Uh, so there's another thing called uh, syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone or SIADH. I'm sure that there's places in the world they call it SIAD because they like yeah. fancy terms like that. <laughs> uh, nowhere specific named. But uh, anyway, SIADH is where you have high levels of antidiuretic hormone produced, so you retain water. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's that dilution factor. Lung cancer is actually one of the most common causes of SIADH and is often one of the first symptoms uh, in lung cancer. Physiologically complicated, involving multiple chains of that um, uh, renin-angiotensin-aldosterone thing. Again, nobody have a seizure. I'm not okay. going to talk about it. So uh, other cancers can also cause that. Mm -hmm. uh, tumors of the head, neck, other triggers sure. are disease, hypothalamus, encephalitis, uh, Guillain-Barré syndrome, heart failure, lung disease. You can kind of see these are all sort of those chronic, yeah. inflammatory-ish tumor type diseases can cause SIADH, yeah. um, with the exception of head trauma, which is a full-on uh, pressure on the glands in the brain. Absolutely. So there's other causes as well. Um, right, there's probably like six tons. other causes. Yes, yeah. I'm sure there are. So chronic or severe vomiting or diarrhea, dehydration, drinking too much water, hormonal changes. See, I told you, perimenopausal you symptoms. Adrenal gland insufficiency, so um, Addison's disease, um, because we're not able to produce the hormones that maintain our sodium, potassium, and water balance. Hypothyroidism can also cause a low blood sodium level. Now, the last one is recreational drugs. Ecstasy actually can cause this. How's that? Well, it increases, so the amphetamine in ecstasy increases the risk of severe and even fatal causes uh, or cases of hyponatremia because it has this perfect storm. What happens is the ecstasy affects the serotonergic nervous pathways that leads to secreting vasopressin as well as causing you to have polydipsia. 
And usually when people are at rave parties, where I've never been, uh, they also tell them if you're taking ecstasy to drink copiously. So you've got this perfect storm of us trying to get rid of the salt and then increasing all that water so itself. They're, they're peeing a lot, yeah. which is getting rid of water and salt. Yes, exactly. But all they're drinking is free it's water. water. Exactly. No salt on their mangoes. They're not ordering, you know. So maybe that's a prevention strategy that you should take on. Exactly. Maybe, having yeah. never been to a rave. Exactly. So back to our case studies, though, and the cause of that hyponatremia. So the first one was the vomiting, right? So we certainly have an electrolyte imbalance. The second lady with the nursing home was on hydrochlorothiazide, so that's certainly a diuretic, and so that might be the cause of it. The paranoid schizophrenic um, is a little bit more interesting, but a subset of schizophrenia or patients with some mental disorders and or developmentally disabled have something called psychogenic polydipsia and it is on a bit of a continuum and they have this compulsion to seek out and over drink any or all fluids um, some of you may have seen that I think some of the Downs kids try to drink a lot of fluid too so that psychogenic polydipsia is very prevalent and the last one the uh, fellow with the pneumonia in the Journal of the Hosp of Hospitalist Medicine in 2012, they actually looked at hyponatremia in pneumonia. And it's relatively common to have hyponatremia in pneumonia, and they speculate that it is actually related to what you just talked about earlier is the syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone secretion. Gosh, that is a bit of a mouthful. Syad. Syad. Maybe we'll start easier. a trend. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of the causes of why our patients perhaps um, had hyponatremia. Now, it's important that when we look at a sodium level that we do it in context. Absolutely. Uh, because I could easily make someone's sodium appear low by di hemodiluting them, mm -hmm. but everything else is low in balance, and so it may not be as huge of an issue as just a low sodium but everything else in balance. So. Uh, what we call that value is osmolality, and we could probably do an entire podcast on osmolality and anion gap, which may come in a future episode. Yeah. Uh, but it is important that you assess that. Just the number on its own is is not helpful. Um, helpful. Yeah. So their serum osmolality, if their sodium is really low, um, will help you differentiate between a true hyponatremia and pseudo hyponatremia, um, which is that dilutional factor hyponatremia. What it does is it measures the concentration level in the plasma, uh, and the sodium level measures the amount of sodium in the blood. So when you look at them, you can go, oh, well, their sodium's low, but everything else is low too. They got too much free water on board, um, which may not show as many symptoms. So it may appear low, but it's falsely low. And it's kind of like looking at a hematocrit and hemoglobin, right? It is. Right? It's the hematocrit of the chemistry. Right. That's a great way of looking at it. Osmolality yeah. is the hematocrit of chemistry. <laughs> so we, we can also look at a urine osmolality uh, and measure the concentration of the osmolality of the urine, of which mm -hmm. we can then dissect out the urine electrolytes and figure out if, if that's... Now, Now the, the numbers that we're going to throw around are the Canadian standard units that we yeah. use. Some of you in other countries may use different units. So uh, don't quote these numbers if you're elsewhere in the world, of uh, which many of you are figure out what your units are. But a urine osmolality greater than 100 milliosmoles per kilogram indicates an impaired ability of the kidneys to dilute the urine. So mm -hmm. there you go. So you may also look at urine sodium concentration as part of your urine electrolytes. And, and it helps differentiate between hyponatremia secondary to hypovolemia or, S, or SIADH. So in, in hypovolemia, there would be lower concentrations of urine sodium. And in SIADH, there would be higher concentrations. High concentrations. 
So kind of, could you kind of walk us through kind of that diagnostic treatment workup then? So I take blood work and I discover right. that my serum sodium is less than 25 milli equivalents. And then you're telling me I need to take a serum osmolality. Right. right? So, so typically you would, you would do, uh, it depends where you work. Uh, right. Some places do serum osmol as automatically part their, as part sure. of their uh, electrolytes. Some, if the anion gap is off, they will do an osmolality automatically. Again, it's all, it's pretty well lab procedure and probably a lot of politics, but basically you're going to do blood work and you're going to discover that your serum sodium is low. Mm. Right. Now, the scale we use in most of Canada uh, is 135 to 145 milliequivalents per, per liter, liter. Yeah. is normal. So you're going to get your first sodium, discover it's less than 135, and go, well, now what do I do? Well, next you're going to do a serum osmolality. Now, if your serum osmolality is 280 to 295 milliosmoles per kilogram, that's the unit we're using, uh, it's actually a pseudo-hyponatremia. It's not actually... Uh, it's, it's a dilutional it's a hyponatremia, yeah. and there's probably not much you're going to worry about with that. If the serum osmolality is less than 280, you have a hypotonic hyponatremia. And if it's greater than 295, you have a hypertonic hyponatremia. Lots of those H words. Yeah. Let's talk about what that really means. So, okay. so in an isotonic or pseudo-hyponatremia, it's typically secondary to high triglyceride levels, and there's no need to really treat it. Okay. okay? Could also be a dilutional... Uh, hyponatremia. Okay. Everything else is imbalanced. So it's an issue, but giving them sodium is actually going to have them too much sodium now in relation to everything else. So you're actually, although correcting a number, not correcting the problem. Problem, yeah. Uh, a hypertonic hyponatremia. Yeah. I know, confusing. Yeah. Uh, is typically secondary to high glucose, maybe from mannitol administration. Yeah. Again, this is going to require a little more looking into why did we create this, this problem um, yeah. so you're going to treat the cause the cause of that and, and again this is where your rest of your medical team is going to assist you with that hypotonic hyponatremia so that's where the serum osmolality is less than 280 yeah. that's the real deal yeah. so that's a true deficit in salt related to everything else and that's where you need to correct the hyponatremia mm-hmm. so what we do need to do first is to figure out are they a dilutional hyponatremia or not and so we're going to look at the urine sodium concentration and that's good because that's kind of actually going to help you guide and and often urine electrolytes i know in my practice an order for urine electrolytes kind of maybe gets prioritized a little lower lower absolutely Um, but this might be a time where no actually we we, we need, need to, to compare attention. blood to pee right now and figure out because if we treat this wrong, there can actually be some bad outcomes. So hypovolemic uh, hyponatremia is a decrease in total body water with a greater decrease in total body sodium, which you're going to see in the urine. Right. Euvolemic is normal body sodium with increase in total body water and hypervolemic yeah. is an increase in total body sodium with a greater increase in total body water. Honestly, that's a lot of words, words and a lot yeah. of things. What you need to remember is low sodium and weird osmolality. Do urine lights. Have the whole package ready for someone else who does this all the time to look at. Yeah. Not that they need to be smarter. They probably just do it all the time. And you know what? You could actually go on to Google and find a calculator that you put all this in, and it will tell you what kind of hyponatremia you want if the person who does it all the time is five communities away and not available at 3 in the morning. There is actually a table, you're absolutely right, and um, we will put it on the website, sure. and I will forward it to you, Landon, uh, that 
it's the one that I use, so I certainly will um, put it on the website for you, uh, for your interest. So let's kind of talk about the treatment. And the treatment is really based on the patient's volume status, which is really what Landon has been talking about. And then the duration and the magnitude of the hyponatremia. Is it mild, moderate, or severe? And then the degree and the severity of the clinical symptoms that the patient is actually presenting with. So we kind of look at that volume status. So what Landon was already talking about, and if you're euvolemic, then you usually just manage it with fluid restrictions and then trying to get, abolish any stimulus for ADH secretion, such as nausea. And you may use a, a something called Vaptin, which is a vasopressin receptor antagonist drug like uh, DDAVP, and we'll talk a little bit more about that um, as well. In hypervolemic hyponatremia, you usually want to treat the underlying cause. If it's not possible to treat the underlying cause, then the treatment becomes the same as that for euvolemic, so fluid restriction and Vaptin. So let's talk a little bit about Vaptin. It's the mainstay of treatment. It predictably causes aqueresis, which is a loss of water without electrolyte loss, leading to increased sodium in the majority of patients with hypodentremia, secondary to SIADH, CHF, and cirrhosis. So you're getting rid of the water, but you're leaving the, the sodium behind, is basically what they're saying. Okay, the, the next thing is to look at the magnitude. Remember, mild, moderate, or severe. So uh, mild hyponatremia is between 130 to 135. Moderate is uh, defined as 121 to 129, and severe is less than 120. Now let's talk about, I think where you and I need to, as nurses, understand it. It's all great to look at numbers and understand the patho, but what are we looking at when the patient comes in? Because often in the chronic and or mild to moderate group, you may not have any symptoms, uh, particularly you know in that group. But there might be some subclinical issues with gait or mentation. So, you know, certainly with your elderly population in a nursing home, they, you may, you know, they might say, oh, they're fumbling a little bit or they just don't seem as clear. And it really may be secondary to hyponatremia. And those are the types of symptoms that you see. The mild to moderate symptoms are also quite nonspecific, which is not very helpful. They may have some headache, nausea, vomiting, fatigue, a little bit of confusion. If chronic, they're not associated with neurological issues. But if they're acute, some of these symptoms are actually quite obvious and could be quite ominous. The severe symptoms include things like seizures, obtundation, coma, and respiratory arrest. That's not good. No, certainly not. So I guess in, in talking about how we're going to treat these people, we kind of need to define them into two different categories. Right. There's these sort of acute types that we need to reverse quickly, and then there's the chronic ones that we may want to bring back a little more slowly. Yeah. And so there's, of course, a definition for that, and we, we call it emergent or non-emergent therapy. So emergent therapy is, is geared at rapidly increasing the serum sodium by four to six milliequivalents per liter over a period of several hours, and non-emergent therapy is to slowly raise the serum sodium by four to six milliequivalents per liter in a 24-hour period. That doesn't seem like a lot, does it? No, I mean, it you think doesn't. four to six. And especially if you have someone whose sodium is, say, 124 or yeah. 120, yeah. we're now looking at a three or four-day reversal of this sodium problem, which yeah. uh, probably the most other common electrolyte imbalance we deal with is as a potassium problem, where we right. often try and treat it very quickly, especially yeah. if it's high. And if it's low, we start banging them with a bit of potassium to get them up quickly. Yeah. Sodium isn't necessarily one that we want to do that with. Now, the reason for that is there's a risk of osmotic demyelination. So 
what that is is it's destruction of the myelin sheath uh, due to rapid transfer of fluid into the brain cells. So we don't want to reverse this too quickly. That Those fluid shifts that quickly might actually destroy some of the myelin sheath. Most at mo Now when that happens, it's when they're trying to reverse hyponatremia and when serum sodium is raised more than 10 to 12 milliequivalents uh, per liter within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So we're go our goal is four to six right. uh, within 24 hours and if you raise it 10 to 12, so it's like if you go twice as fast, which isn't actually that significant, no. especially in the very accurate rates of administration of IV fluid in emergency departments, yeah. that could be a problem. Now that's interesting that you say that because I do know that when I had a discussion with one of the internal medicine doctors recently, you are absolutely right because there's a delay in the physician seeing patients and a lot of nurse initiated IV fluids. You do have to be careful about administering too much sodium or, you know, we usually hang up normal saline. And so when we don't actually have the blood work back yet, and often we have initiated blood work, and then we've started the line, and, you know, we get rushed, the doctor doesn't come in for a couple of hours, and before we know it, we've given this poor little granny foo-foo a lot of uh, normal saline. Maybe it's gone in over an hour, or and then somebody comes by, sees it empty, hangs up another one, and they've actually ended up having their hyponatremia has been fixed very quickly, and there's been at least three cases in the last month where this happened, the patient needed to be admitted to the hospital and get DDAVP. So very interesting. So be cautious mm -hmm. uh, about just sticking in a line and opening it up wide until we have all the stuff back. So um, and and so the treatment for this, if you if you do correct it too quickly, is you need to bring it down again. Yeah. And so we do use DDAVP with D5W to right. re-lower the sodium. Isn't which that terrible, was the reason eh? they came in. <laughs> in we fixed it too place. quick, and then we're now chemically trying to yeah. lower it again. So it does need to be monitored. Yeah, bit of a tug of war in that situation, and certainly exactly. it's not great for the patient, right? So who would we do these emerging, emergent treatment on? This is the rapid reversal. People with severe symptoms. Obviously, if someone's having multiple seizures or they're right. unconscious, it's life over limb at that point. People with acute hyponatremia may actually be okay with a more rapid reversal right. than people who've been uh, have a more chronic hyponatremia. Sure. Hyperacute hyponatremia, self-induced water intoxication, mm -hmm. uh, you can reverse quickly. And acute post-op hyponatremia, intracranial pathology, all of these sort of rapidly onset, mm -hmm. they haven't had time to settle into their chronic hyponatremic state, you can reverse fairly quickly, yeah. safely. Non-emergent treatment, so that's the slow right. reintroduction of sodium into them, is the uh, acute, first off, asymptomatic people that you right. just discover it, well, fine, let's take time, we have it, or subacute hyponatremia, mm -hmm. and definitely the chronic severe hyponatremia. They're chronically low, you know this, and yeah. you don't. You want to be careful reversing them quickly. It does sound like it's mostly kind of related to the brain, doesn't it? And, yeah, and how these fluid shifts. It's all fluid shifts really, in the brain. Exactly, that we're so, mostly concerned about. So anything that's hyponatremic secondary to any brain things is certainly something that's and much the, more concerning. The interesting thing is the ones who need quick treatment are the ones already showing, showing neurologic, neurologic yeah. symptoms and going the bad way while reversing them shows neurologic symptoms. So you're almost stuck in the middle going, well, is that just the condition or exactly. am I reversing them too quickly? Yeah. So, so how do you actually fix it? Well, so, so the treatment is hypertonic saline. Okay. There's 3% normal saline. At, uh, again, some places it's a pharmaceutical and some places it's just sitting in the IV fluids. Um, mm -hmm. 
which it shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> That's an accreditation thing. Uh, it shouldn't be there because it's quite dangerous if you suddenly grab the wrong bag. Absolutely. You usually give a 100 mil bolus over 10 to 15 minutes. That's the emergent therapy. Yeah. And you're going to check the blood work every one to two hours and then that's where you start playing the balancing game so Absolutely. sort of a initial do this check the blood work again and see where you end up and then titrate okay. from there sure um, non-emergent therapy so these are the more uh, chronic or subacute hyponatremias you may uh, give just a 50 mil bolus or you may actually and what I see more often is a as a continuous infusion at a certain rate right. over the next 24 hours to bring them up slowly and that's the key and that the physicians I've been involved with reversing these people kind of Q2 to 4 hourly blood work, blood work. Yeah. Um, not so much caring about the level because they know that the level won't be back to yeah. normal it's more how fast We're are moving. We, what's the pattern with this patient getting say 30 mils an hour of 3% mm -hmm. saline what is the curve of how fast we're reversing Going it up. and if yeah. we project that is it going to last for the four days we should be taking? Right. So, again, it may seem to those of you doing Q1H or Q2H blood work on these people, well, why are we doing that? We already know it's low. that it's low. <laughs> yeah. It's because they want to extrapolate how fast you're reversing it. And Absolutely. it is a fairly predictable line there. So the asymptomatic acute or subacute, you do the bolus or the slow continuous. But if you have chronic severe hyponatremia, you would still do a slow infusion or a bolus. Right. And also you might treat and concurrently. You, and you with might give DDAVP while you're right. while you're doing it. Okay. So in summary, that's very interesting, isn't it? I, I learned so much actually when we do things like this because you are right. When you look at electrolyte imbalances, sometimes it's kind of like I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here. So in summary, be vigilant to hyponatremic causes. As Landon has mentioned, these people do very poorly. They have poor clinical outcomes. So when you have somebody with vague confusion, no neurodeficits, patients on diuretics, paranoid schizophrenics with query psychogenic polydipsia, patients with pneumonia, be vigilant that maybe the cause is hyponatremia. Determine if it's acute, so less than 48 hours. If you don't know, proceed with caution in correcting the sodium. Avoid that osmotic demyelination. Emergent therapy increases sodium by four to six milliequivalents over a period of several hours. Non-emergent slowly increases that same four to six mils, uh, mil equivalents per liter, but over 24 hours. Treatment is usually with hypertonic saline solution. Vaptin would be added if it's secondary, the hyponatremia is secondary to SIADH, CHF, and cirrhosis. And definitely, as Landon alluded to, please monitor your lab work uh, one to two hours. Also add in that osmolality, the urine osmolality and their urine sodium concentration. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's it for this episode. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Okay. Thank Bye. you. Bye. For past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education. 
www.prneducation.ca.